Morale. It is Tuesday, October 9th, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm DeAndre Jones. And I'm Jake Langwa, and we thank you for tuning in. If there's one thing we have learned from this presidential debate, it's that it is absolutely full of surprises. Tonight, we bring you more coverage of the candidates and events surrounding the 2012 presidential debate, as well as profiling some of the different student political groups here on campus. In addition, tonight we have the very latest from the art world, as well as some fun science facts. And Jasmine went to... A very special kind of seminar last night. More on that later. But before all of that, first we turn to Jasmine and Andrew for the latest in the news and the weather. What can we expect in the weather-wise, Jasmine? Thank you, Jake, and good evening, Wolfpack. Well, today may have seemed like a gloomy day with a little bit of rain and some cloudy skies. I don't think we have to remind you guys to get those jackets out because it's still a little chilly out right now at 54 degrees with a low of 49. And a few chances of scattered rain is still on the forecast for the evening. Tomorrow, it's looking like we will be getting a break for the day. 72 degrees never sounded so good, but keep those jackets around because the low will be 45 degrees with a 20% chance of rain and partly cloudy skies. Thursday, there will be sunny, sunny skies with a high of 56 and a low of 44. Chance of rain will be 0%, so get excited for that. And Friday, it's back to 72 as the high. It's looking like sunny skies to start the weekend off right and another 0% chance of rain. Saturday, we'll be dropping a few degrees with a high of 68 and a low of 52. No umbrella needed because rain still isn't in the forecast. We will conclude our weekend on a wonderful note with Sunday's highs expected to be 76 degrees with a low of 60. And skies are expected to be partly cloudy and and rain isn't going to appear in the forecast. And that's all for the weather. Have a wonderful rest of the week, Pac. Definitely happy to see that it's going to warm up a little bit. It's been pretty frigid outside lately, so... Anyways, thank you, Jasmine. And now we turn to Andrew for the latest in the news. Andrew? Thanks, DeAndre. Former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky was sentenced to 30 to 60 years in prison today after being convicted of 45 molestation charges. Sandusky's lawyers say he plans to appeal the sentencing. Venezuelan President Hugo Chavez has been reelected to another six-year term. Chavez promises to continue socialist reforms in the nation. He has held the office since 1999 and has undergone two surgeries for cancer in the past years. And the corpse of Heriberto Lascono, founder of the Mexican drug cartel Los Zetas, was stolen by an armed gang today. Lascono was killed in a firefight with Marine Sunday. The U.S. had put up a $5 million reward on his capture. And that's the news. Thanks for that, Andrew. Young Americans for Liberty is a student organization here on campus that represents those of the libertarian persuasion. A representative of the organization was gracious enough to sit down with Jay recently to discuss some of the what some of what Young Americans for Liberty are all about. The Republican Democrat platforms continue to change over time and citizens' disapproval of government officials grows. Should citizens keep voting for either a Republican or Democrat, or should they vote for a third party candidate based on their principles? I hear a lot of people say third party can't win or voting for a third party is a vote for so-and-so. But more often than that, I hear your vote doesn't matter. Statistically, it's true. I say stick to your guns and vote on principle. If you really want to go out there and change the world, it's not with your vote. It's with your voice. Go out and talk to people, engage in discussion, and share ideas. That's the way to get who you want elected. Every presidential administration in the history of this country has had a budget deficit passed by Congress. In the last 10 years, this has occurred at an increasing rate, and the federal debt has currently reached $16 trillion. Is the national debt one of the top issues that needs to be addressed by Congress and President? And if it is, how should the national debt be addressed? I believe it's a huge problem. 
We spent over a trillion dollars in foreign policy last year with the wars in foreign aid. Medicare and Medicaid have cost $760 billion, and Social Security has cost $775 billion. These programs are hugely indebted and are a constant loss to our citizens. The only way to really conquer the problem of our huge national debt is to cut agencies, cut programs, and move the ones that work down to a state and local level. These huge federal programs that are caught in bureaucracy lose so much money to the taxpayers that not much is getting done. To conquer it, we must bring it down to the state and local level where a better eye can be kept on the programs to make sure that optimal results are being held. Last year, $120 million went to retirement and disabilities for dead workers due to federal programs. So I believe the only way that we can really cut the national debt is to cut unnecessary federal programs and to bring the rest down to state and local government. What do you think is a critical issue facing our nation? I think the most critical issue facing our nation is deciding what the purpose of government really is. Its goal started off defending three simple ideas back in 1776. Life, liberty, and personal property. Today our government has expanded tremendously. It's in charge of our education, health, retirement. They tell us what to eat and drink, control what we buy and sell. We've entered a nanny state. We're at the point where, without government intervention, your average day citizen doesn't know what to do. They don't know if what they're doing is moral. We've lost control with society, our culture. I believe we need to redefine government back to what it was in 1776, back to where it's only there to defend our life, liberty, and our property. Anything more than that, and the free market can take control. The private sector is set so that if there's a demand, it will be supplied. Government and taxation will just get in the way. So I believe our most critical issue really is narrowing the scope of government and bringing it back down to the bare necessities. In a recent video from MotherJones.com of Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney, he claimed he cannot gain support from 47% of the country that is not paying federal income tax. Two days later, a video of President Obama from 1998 had him claiming a belief of redistribution of wealth. What are your thoughts and reactions to both videos? Well, I believe Mitt Romney is foolish for getting caught saying what he said, but his statement is pretty accurate. One of the basic principles of running a campaign is that there are some votes he'll automatically get, you Republicans, some he'll get no matter what, the liberals, and some that will always be up for grabs, and those are your independents. It would be useless for Romney to spend valuable resources, time, and energy to the people who are voting for Obama when he could use it on the moderates. That's what Romney was trying to convey, though his rhetoric came off a bit uncaring and harsh. But the strategy is used by both sides. Obama isn't openly chasing after big business votes. In fact, he's openly talking about taxing them more. And I'm not surprised by Obama's quote either. In fact, it shocked me that most people were so surprised when it came out. Yes, Obama is in favor of redistribution of wealth, just as every other major politician, including Romney. What are Medicare, Medicaid, food stamps, social, social security, foreign aid, and almost any other government action? Any outrage by the Republicans is either cognitive dissonance or an effort to capitalize on the public's misunderstanding on what the government actually does. This brings me back to the statement I was saying earlier about how we're entering that nanny state. We're at a point where your average citizen doesn't know what to do without their government's intervention. They're confused at how to live their lives, not knowing if it's legal or illegal, all the activities that they're doing. Are there any remarks that you have that you'd like to make? 
I just have two last points I'd like to make. One, I'm not against Social, Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. I believe our parents and our grandparents put a whole lot of money into those accounts, and they should get their just rewards. What I'm afraid of is that these programs are going to continue and that we, the young generation, are just going to keep throwing money into the fire and we're never going to get what we put into these programs. Also brought in a list of examples of the nanny state that we've entered into. A quick list of examples of how the government is truly trying to control our lives. Cops in multiple states have handed fines to parents of kids running lemonade stands on their own private property. A man was arrested and sent to jail for collecting rainwater on his own land. James Tyson, a Charlotte resident, was listed as a terrorist for a traffic violation. He was in a car with an expired ID and was banned from attending the Democratic National Convention. And he was put on the terrorist watch list. Uh, for you kids out there on Facebook, I want you to know that they're spying on your conversation, sending suspicious behavior and look for keywords and sending reports to the FBI. This is a ridiculous attack on our civil liberties. These are a few of the big examples of the bureaucracy and the nanny state that we've entered into. Our constitutional rights are being trampled on as government doesn't listen to the few rules that the Constitution has laid out for it. I believe it's a huge problem that the government has grown to this size that we as a nation must stay informed and stay on top of what our congressmen and senators are doing in D.C. If anyone is interested in your student organization here at NC State, how can they contact your organization? I'd like to say first, Young Americans for Liberty does not endorse candidates. If you'd like to find us, we're on Facebook at facebook.com backslash YALNCSU. We're also on Twitter with the Twitter handle YAL at NCSU. Also, Young Americans for Liberty is hosting a debate in Dabney 124 at 7 p.m. on Wednesday, October 24th. We'd like to see all of our Wolfpack fans out there. It's very important for everyone to stay involved and informed, so come out and hear the voices of three great speakers. Rick Perlsting is representing the liberal point of view. Jim Harper from the Cato Institute will be representing the libertarian point of view. And Mike Adams from UNC Wilmington will be representing the conservative point of view. So we hope to see you all out there. This week, Andrew profiles the Green Party candidate, Jill Stein. Last week, Eye on the Triangle began discussing the major third parties, their candidates, their platforms, and whether supporting one is really throwing your vote away. We explored the candidacy of Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party's growing popularity. This week, we discussed Jill Stein and the Green Party's past history of influencing national elections. We feel that this is important because all these candidates will be on the ballot, and that the only thing keeping voters from supporting them is that they don't recognize their names. Jill Stein is a Harvard-educated physician from Massachusetts who has been a candidate for the Green Party in various elections since 2002. The Green Party is a left-wing political party founded in 1991 as a national coalition of various smaller state Green Parties. Green Parties exist in countries across the world and promote the ideology of green politics, including environmentalism, social justice, nonviolence, and grassroots democracy. In the United States, prominent Green Party candidates have included everyone from environmentalists to former Black Panthers to former Dead Kennedys frontman Jello Biafra, who sought the party's nomination for president in 2000. Instead, the Greens nominated Ralph Nader, 
the consumer rights activist who would become the party's figurehead. In 1965, Ralph Nader published the book Unsafe at Any Speed, in which he described the various dangers and design flaws of American automobiles and the resistance of the auto industry to implement simple safety features such as seatbelts. Over the next 30 years, Nader represented various populist and environmentalist causes, alleging that he was being ignored by public interest groups in Washington and the Clinton administration in particular. Nader announced his candidacy for the 2000 presidential election. Famously referring to George W. Bush and Al Gore as Tweedledee and Tweedledum, Nader enlisted various celebrities in his campaign and received 2.74% of the popular vote. Though a seemingly insignificant percentage, it was widely claimed that Nader had acted as a spoiler for Al Gore, especially in the state of Florida. Nader contested these claims, pointing out that it was the Supreme Court that influenced the vote by halting the recount, that if continued would have found Gore to be the winner. But studies have since shown that in other swing states, a significant number of voters did shift their support from Gore to Nader. Jill Stein ran for governor of Massachusetts in 2000, secretary of the Commonwealth in 2006, and governor again in 2010. She lost all these elections, but was elected to the town of Lexington's town meeting seat in 2005 and 2008. She announced her candidacy for the presidency in October 2011 and received the party nomination in July. That same month, Stein received enough in campaigning contributions to qualify for federal matching funds from the Federal Election Commission. The FEC matches up to $250 of an individual's contribution, provided that a candidate is seeking nomination by a political party and that they have raised at least $5,000 in each of 20 states. Most candidates for the two major parties choose not to accept this money, but for third parties, these are valuable campaign funds. Stein is running on the platform of a Green New Deal, promoting industry growth and lowering employment by building low-carbon infrastructure and clean energy. In addition, the Green New Deal would break up large financial institutions, reform corporate taxes to close loopholes, and institute a direct windfall tax on the profits of oil and gas companies. Stein says these changes will solve America's financial problems while directing the country towards sustainability. Jill Stein and Gary Johnson are certainly radical alternatives to Barack Obama and Mitt Romney. But are they viable alternatives? Is voting third party a wasted vote? The answer is no. As I said earlier, both Stein and Johnson qualified for federal matching funds based on contributions during their primary campaigns. To receive federal funds for the general election, a candidate's party must have received at least 5% of the vote in the previous presidential election. Could either Johnson or Stein receive 5%? Absolutely. A recent CNN poll lists Johnson at 4% and Stein at 3%. This percentage isn't determined by statewide popularity or electoral college votes. 5% nationwide is all they need. So while neither Johnson nor Stein will win the presidency this year, their campaigns are important because they denote the beginning of viable third-party candidates. Johnson and Stein are both more popular than any previous third-party candidate not because of their celebrity personality, but because of their party's ideals. If either receives 5% of the vote on November 6th, the 2016 election could be very unlike any in recent history. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Andrew Eichen.
So, guys, uh, right off the bat, opinions on the nanny states. Well, um, I think that nanny state, or at least the representative from the uh, from the uh, Youth for Liberty, Young Americans for young, Liberty, Young Americans for Liberty. Sorry, um, I think that he he definitely ex- uh, exaggerated a little bit as to how dependent we are on the government. Um, I don't think that I don't think that the government really like controls like where like where I go to eat and like and like when I sleep and things like that. Well, I mean, I I know like the the rainwater example he gave is is like a very real issue. It has happened multiple times before. It's where uh, somebody owns a reservoir or watershed, and people around them who uh, collect rainwater in barrels are told they're not allowed to do that anymore because technically the water that falls on their land is not their own. It's whoever owns the watershed. So, um, but that's a that's a really I mean that's a really wonky legal <laughs> yeah. jargon. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's a it's a weird rule, but I think it is you you can look at it as like uh, symbolic of a larger issue, and that's that there are a lot of restrictions that public citizens face that are probably unconstitutional that um would would not have flown two hundred mm. years ago. <laughs> Yeah, but I and um, I I would agree that we should cut some of them, but I think we should start with the personal restrictions. Like he was saying stuff like uh, you know stop regulating business as well, and the the free market will take care of it. I think if you're going to cut some some restrictions, do it for the people. Don't do it for the corporations. You think you should start with the people? I mean, I think absolutely. One of the biggest things I take issue is when people say that we should go back to the way it was as the founding fathers <laughs> intended. There are so many more problems. There are so many more factors to consider now than there were in, in seven, in the, you know, the late 18th century. So I think that, you know, some of that to a point that has to be taken into consideration. Oh yeah, most definitely. I, and I think that some of the examples that he gave, I mean, the rainwater example, like Andrew said, is, a, is an actual thing, but I think they were a bit, a bit arbitrary um, when used as examples to support the fact that we're that we're facing a nanny state right now, um, and I think that um, I think that you know definitely if we're going to start cutting some restrictions, you know definitely don't start with big corporations and things like that. I mean, I I, I think he has some points when he talks about things like um, one, a couple of things that come to mind, especially with food, are, are the big gulp in New York and the <laughs> Happy Meal toys in, in San Francisco and things like that. So I, I think. I think he does have some points, but I think to a certain extent that that many, some of them, some of the regulations are there for a reason, and they're oh, just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um. What you were saying before, like uh, a lot of these libertarians look to Thomas Jefferson as like the first of their kind. I know he was saying it. He said 1776. That's not really. That's not when the Constitution was written, so it's not really accurate. <laughs> but um, yeah, Jefferson had these like uh like kind of utopian views about the future of America. He thought it was going to be an agrarian republic and it was going to be ruled by what he called a natural aristocracy. And none of that happened. So uh, if, if they're like really wanting for a return to that, I don't really know if, if it's possible, like at the point of how America has developed, it's a very different country than it was 2000 years ago. And 200. Think, uh, I'm sorry, 200 <laughs> years ago. And the people were very different. So, um, but I think it still begs a larger question: What role should the government play? Should they be regulating? Should they be? Yeah. Um, should we even have things like social yeah. social welfare, social security, or is that up to our responsibility? Because the more liberties you are given, obviously, the more responsibilities you are given as well. And I think that a lot of people are trying to figure out where that line should should sit. Yeah, I've heard someone say once that uh, it's not the government's job to make you a good person; 
And I, I agree with that. Like, uh, a lot of regulations set on private citizens, they, they're really meaningless and they're, they inhibit liberty. But otherwise, uh, reforms that have been instituted to, like, help poor people or keep corporations from polluting the environment, no, those, yeah. are, those are definitely good, mm-hmm. good laws that should stay. So what about, what about um, corporate regulations, you know, finance, uh, trade, things like that? What do you think? I think that those, I think that those are definitely really, really necessary to keep uh, big corporations in check because as we saw, as we saw in the early, um, early 1900s, early 1900s and late uh, 1800s, um, corporations, when, I mean, when they get big, they, they run with it and they can run with it and literally become a monopoly that's nationwide. And at that point, nobody can stop them except for the government. And that's what had to happen. And if we release those restrictions again, that's exactly what would happen again. Yeah, uh, that's that's another example of how how, uh, how different America is today. When like um, you know, a hundred years ago, somebody like Teddy Roosevelt was known as a trust buster because he just he broke up huge corporations. Uh, socialist ideals were popular in both in both parties, and uh, the word prog- progressive wasn't use as a pejorative back then mm-hmm. so um well, i don't think you even i don't i think you don't even have to go back a hundred years to find examples of companies that just ran with it um you look <laughs> you go back 20 years or 10 years when alan greenspan was the chairman of the federal reserve and he just totally against regulation and what they did they just cut back on how on you know who could get a mortgage who could get a loan and 10 15 years later we had the biggest financial crisis in a lifetime so i think that you know some regulation can be stifling, yes, but I think it, you, it's important to remember that it is there for a reason. I mean, Glass-Steagall, when they repealed that, what, 10 years ago, mm-hmm. 13, yeah. 12, 12 years ago now, it was put there for a reason. Yeah. And, you know, they put it, what, right after the Great Depression, you know, they pass it right after the Great Depression, they repeal it. 12 years later, we have, you know, we were on the brink of, of depression again, you know, depending <laughs> yeah. on who you ask, we, yeah. we did or we didn't. But the point is, it was a big hit. Yeah, and, and talking about stuff like that is even still a big problem because Bill Clinton was the one who signed the repeal of that mm-hmm. bill. Yeah. And he just, he just, uh, at the Democratic National Convention, he just goes on about how Obama's faced a huge financial <laughs> catastrophe. Well, Bill Clinton played a big role in that coming about. <laughs> yeah. And nobody wants to talk about stuff like that. Like a lot of Democrats saw Bill Clinton. They're like, yeah, we need to go back to how it was in the 90s. That was good. The economy was good. We need a president like Clinton. Well, I mean, not everyone is totally responsible for the times they're in. A lot of yeah. it is from the times before. I think yeah. that's the bottom line is that no, you know, not, no one person created the mess that we're in. You know, yeah. this isn't Obama's fault. This isn't Bush's fault. This is, you know, I think this is. It's cumulative. It's, it's a, cumulative. Yeah. It, 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 everyone, <laughs> I think, to some extent, bears some responsibility. And I think that as far as rebuilding goes, everybody has some stake in that, too. And if, it, I mean, it would be awesome if every time that we got a new president, the, the economy and the way that the nation was before, just, it just reset. But that's just not how it is. That's, yeah. And it's never going to be like that. Well, who knows? Big questions. So anyway, DeAndre, what do we got? Um, well, uh, last night, Jasmine went to a seminar all about, well, let's say one of the more intimate aspects of someone's life, something that affects or will affect each and every one of us at some point in our lives. And a quick note to anyone listening, um, this piece, this next piece acknowledges the existence of sex and may not be entirely suitable for children. I think they have an okay time. How do you know? I mean, how do I know I know? 
Because they... Yes, because they... How do you know that they're really... What are you saying? That they fake orgasm? It's possible. Get out of here. Why? Most women at one time or another have faked it. Well, they haven't faked it with me. How do you know? Yep. That was the clip that was shown to over 200 students last night at the infamous program, The Female Orgasm. The Female Orgasm is a program that combines sex education along with women's empowerment, equaling a good laugh. Speakers Kate Weinberg and Mark, speakers Kate Weinberg and Marshall Miller introduced themselves by first talking about their initial interest in not just sex in general, but how to please their partner. It was an awkward tension in the room as students sat back left to ponder on their own sex lives. The central question was, what exactly is an orgasm and how does one reach one? Students around the room were introduced to a few facts. The first, the average length of time it takes a woman to have an orgasm is 20 minutes. Time it takes a man, 2 to 5 minutes. Also, 44% of men say their female partners always have orgasms when they have sex, while only 22% of women say they always have an orgasm when they have sex. Facts like this were certainly the recipe for an informational program. It's not like we were doing anything awful, said Kate as she tried to make herself sound credible. And after putting on programs such as the one presented, she said she then realized I wasn't alone in the world. The program wasn't just for women. It was also for men in the room as well. Marshall commented by saying, just as women have questions, we have questions. And questions were just what he asked the audience. But things took a turn when Marshall introduced the secretive unspoken topic, God awful, masturbation. But unlike expectations... Students had much to say like, I heard masturbation helps with prostate cancer, and I heard Jurgen's lotion gets the job done. Marshall didn't have much to say on the lotion comment, but he did verify the prostate cancer rumor. He said it was true. In fact, masturbation is a very helpful tool in preventing prostate cancer in young men. Kate interjected by stating that she too has masturbated, and it has been a very frequent task that she has been participating in since a very young age. Before her knowledge that other people did it, she said she asked herself, wouldn't that be amazing if I was the one that invented masturbation? Surely the audience had a good laugh, and after a hearty laugh and a few tips on how to reach orgasms and how to masturbate, Kate and Marshall concluded by charging students in the room to go and get some practice. Marshall commented as he assumed, there may be people in here ready to put this into use tonight. He wasn't lying because as I exited the door, I heard comments like, I'm excited and, oh yeah, buddy, it's going down tonight. Needless to say, the female orgasm was an outstanding program that was presented by Kate Weinberg and Marshall Miller. Special thanks goes out to the Kappa Xi chapter of Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated and the Union Activities Board. Kate and Marshall, you did an awesome job. And for the students that were in attendance to such a historical event, we learned a lot. Oh, yeah, right there. Oh. Oh. We're on the oh. triangle. This is Jasmine Shepard. Oh. oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, I'll have what she's having. Uh, so Jasmine, that was um, quite an interesting piece you had there. How was that? Uh, <laughs> yes, it was. How was that? Uh, without beginning too explicit, how <laughs> <laughs> was the seminar? It was actually very good. It was very informative. Um, a lot of people came out and learned a lot of new stuff. Uh, they, the unspoken question about you know issues like masturbation and. Females reaching orgasms. I don't know if that's explicit or not. <laughs> they were definitely answered. Um, and, the, yeah, they definitely came there for a reason. They definitely um, did a wonderful job presenting. I think that is really great that uh, 
that you know it was it was definitely a place where students and uh, and people can gather and like not be afraid to talk about exactly. things. Like what, was that. it? Was everybody? I just have to ask: Was everybody like mature? Or were the people like giggling and things like that? Well, I don't know if you would say somebody that was giggling was unmature. I feel like I'm I'm pretty mature, but I definitely had a couple of laughs. But um, yeah, there was a lot of people laughing in the audience. Uh, but I think it was just because uh, the issue is so such a secretive issue that you know it's kind of awkward to talk about it. So it definitely was an awkward tension in the room. But needs to say, everybody had a wonderful time. Did it ever get like really uncomfortable? Um. Yeah. When she was actually talking about herself but uh and telling on her telling her personal stories it kind of got awkward and then when they you know asked the audience questions it, it kind of got <laughs> awkward but we won't go too much into that you definitely had to be at the program but um i heard that it comes every two years to state so hopefully uh the wolf pack people who didn't go last night will certainly go within the next two years well i'm sure there's a lot that people can learn about with a uh, a seminar like that <laughs> yeah. always something new to learn always <laughs> all right thanks jasmine and now, a new segment by our very own Gene, all about the crazy and wonderful world of science. She's alive. 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 Hey guys, I'm here this week to talk about some things that make me think science is pretty cool. Don't groan and think, I don't need to know this. Science is awesome and there's definitely something in it for everybody. First of all, all of you germaphobes out there might have to seriously reconsider your outlook. Did you know that the human body contains 10 times more bacterial cells than human cells? Essentially, all of the bacteria living inside of you could fill a half-gallon jug. Don't get too freaked out by this. These bacteria are in your body to perform specific life functions and facilitate human health and well-being. Has anyone noticed that leaving a dark room, say a movie theater, and going outside has triggered sneezing? Approximately one-third of the human population could relate to this experience due to the genetic quirk known as photic sneeze reflex or sneezing as a result of exposure to a bright light. Historically, this has been observed as far back as Aristotle and Francis Bacon some 2,000 years later. This phenomenon is explained by a neurological response. A sneeze is triggered by an irritation in the nose, sensed by the trigeminal nerve. This nerve is responsible for facial sensation and motor control. Due to its close proximity to the optic nerve, some of the electrical signals sent to the brain by the optic nerve in response to a bright light is sensed by the trigeminal nerve and mistaken by the brain as an irritant in the nose, resulting in a sneeze. On a different note, we all know that college students could use a few extra hours of sleep. Have you ever noticed that when one sleepy college student yawns in a seminar, it spreads like wildfire through the entire room? This is because yawns are contagious. The reason for this is strictly evolutionary. Yawning when others yawn is a sign of empathy and a form of social bonding. Studies show that kids with autism are half as likely to catch yawns, and in the most severe cases, never do. Do you think that immortality is unattainable? In most cases, it is. That is, unless you're a Turritopsis nutricella, the genus of jellyfish which is also regarded as the immortal jellyfish. This is because these species have the ability to transform back into juvenile form 
once they mate after becoming sexually mature. Now wouldn't that be convenient for the rest of us? Even though a blue whale's tongue is as heavy as an adult elephant and bigger than a taxi cab, the blue whale is not the largest organism on Earth. The largest organism on Earth is a fungus known as the Armillaria ostei. This growth occupies some 2,384 acres of Oregon's Blue Mountains. Based on its current growth rate, the fungus is estimated to be 2,400 years old, but could also be as ancient as 8,650 years old earning it a place among the oldest living organisms as well. Okay, folks, that's all I have for you this week. Tune in next week for some more weird science facts. This has been Gene Jerna for WKNC 88.1, The Revolution. Lovely Lucia is back, giving the latest in arts from around the triangle. Good evening. You are tuned in to WKNC 88.1 FM. I am Lovely Lucia, and this is Eye on the Arts, a weekly segment that highlights the creative activity here in Raleigh, North Carolina. Tonight, I'll be talking with Dr. Gary Beckman, founder and professor of the Arts Entrepreneurship Minor here at NC State University. Thank you for joining us this evening. Well, thank you very much for having me. So, why did you begin this arts entrepreneurship program here at NC State? Well, actually, it wasn't me. It was the uh, um, chair of the music department, Dr. Mark Scarce. He wanted to start an arts entrepreneurship um, program inside the music department. He asked me, and luckily enough, I was available. People have been wondering, is this minor just for arts studies students? Absolutely not. Actually, this is the only campus-wide arts entrepreneurship program in the nation. That's the way that we designed it, and that's certainly the way that my colleagues and my peers wanted it. We, we really want to make sure that those students who have a strong interest in the arts or who want to leverage their major or use their major in the arts really have an opportunity while they're here at NC State. Actually, I've got students not only from art studies, but from pool and from all the engineering disciplines pretty much everywhere. Well, that's great news for many students here at NC State. Would you like to summarize the degree plan Sure. The minor is comprised of five different classes. The first two are uh, foundations in arts entrepreneurship and practical arts entrepreneurship, EMA 365 and 370. With those classes, it basically talks about the nuts and bolts of, of starting an arts business and also talks a little bit about marketing and aesthetics. The next one is EMA 375. That's understanding the arts economies. There are a number of arts economies out there that arts entrepreneurs really need to know about to be successful. And the last one is the capstone in arts entrepreneurship. That's where students can team up and help present um, arts entrepreneurs in the triangle. And then lastly, there is an advised elective where basically we're trying to, to really help students get, get a bit of a broader education in this topic. The minor itself was designed to be completed in three semesters, and the first two classes are GEP-IP courses, and they tend to be rather fun if not interesting and a bit challenging. What are your goals for um, students in this minor? Well, there's a number of goals. I guess the I guess the primary one is really to help nurture emerging student entrepreneurs in the arts. That's really the primary goal. But there's other goals in there as well. Some have to do more with 
preparing basically a 21st century workforce. Other goals are also, and, and very blatantly, just to help student dreams come true. So do you believe the arts infrastructure in Raleigh is comparable to other regions? Actually, I'd have to say that Raleigh and the Triangle in general um, has an, really an exceptional arts infrastructure, especially if you look at it per capita. There's an awful lot of things going on here that emerging arts entrepreneurs can actually plug into, whether it be businesses that they, that they can provide services to. There's definitely a need for the arts and actually, I'd say even a respect for the arts here in the Triangle. And that you really don't find in the majority of the larger urban areas in the country. We're really, really special here, especially on the East Coast, because we are an emerging arts area, for lack of a better term. Granted, we do much more than that. But the arts are, I'm not sure if they're exactly leading the way, but they're definitely running parallel. And that's the really great thing about being in the Triangle. Well, that is great news for arts entrepreneurs. What are the differences between an art entrepreneurship minor and a standard entrepreneurship minor from, say, the College of Management? Well, really, we deal with, with an arts product. Typically, an arts product is, um, has some sort of aesthetic properties. Therefore, we have to approach things slightly differently. My colleagues at Poole are fantastic people. They're very, very smart, and they have a great program. However, when we really are talking about the arts... This is something a little bit more different, mostly because people are consuming the arts in a different way and consuming arts for a different reason. What do you hope for in the future in terms of the art entrepreneurship minor? Well, goodness, we would love to have almost all of our students start businesses. And that's, and that's sort of what, what we're trying to do at some level. But at the same time, other goals would be simply, simply trying to provide students an opportunity while they're here at NC State to actually explore whether or not they have the temperament to be an arts entrepreneur or not. Would you like to say anything to prospective students of the art entrepreneurship minor? We have a lot of fun. We have an awful lot of fun. It's a challenging minor. Even though the minor can be completed in just three, just three semesters, it's, it's robust, and there's an awful lot of intellectualism going on. And more importantly, I think the best thing about the minor is that during the final class, the capstone class, we actually team up and, and help Raleigh Arts Entrepreneurs with the problems that they're having with their businesses. Thank you for joining us this evening, Dr. Beckman. Thank you. More information about the Art Entrepreneurship Minor can be found at the Music Department website. Join us next week for another segment of Eye on the Arts, right here on WKNC 88.1. Thanks to lovely Lucia for that report. Uh, now let's see you have some DeAndre, you have some holidays that we should be celebrating this week. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, first of all, yesterday was Columbus Day, so that was well, cool. Yeah, happy Columbus Day. You guys remember that. Um, so today is Curious Events Day. So um, it's just an event, or it's just a holiday that focuses on, like... Did anything curious happen to anyone here today? Oh, God. I feel like something did, and I can't remember. I got a ticket. <laughs> you, you got a ticket? Yeah. Like, I'm parking on Hillsborough Bad, or, like, what? How curious? It, what tw- happened? $20 parking in an RE lot versus a Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten I think... I think I've gotten two, maybe three NC State tickets, and I've never been charged. They're always for zero. I've gotten about 12. Really? Yes. <laughs> for, like, for zero? They give you a lot of second chances. Well, not me. Oh. Yeah, not me. I've gotten about four <laughs> tickets for $30 each. Wow. 
So no, I I got one ticket for twenty bucks, and then I, I've got I've had two for zero. So I don't know. It depends. Oh, so <laughs> whatever they want, they'll just charge. Um. So today is also fire prevention day, which is one of those you know. Well, I mean that's important. You yeah. should always every day should be fire prevention day. Yeah, like it's like a Valentine's Day effect. Like you should love everybody. You should love everybody every day. You yeah, should yeah. Fires every day. It's not like you don't try and prevent fires every other day of the year. But today, just make sure that if you like, you're you're preventing fires today. Like make okay. sure of that. Well, it's it's eight o'clock now, so if you haven't started any fires by yet, you know. I actually had a fire drill in my dorm today. Really? Oh. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if this was related because Definitely. there actually wasn't a fire or anything, but I'm sure they were just celebrating in their own way. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So today's also Leaf Erickson Day. I'm sorry. SpongeBob. I didn't know that was like, I didn't know. I didn't know that was a thing either. I think it's because it's the day after Columbus Day and Leaf Erickson, you know, discovered America before Columbus. How long ago before Columbus? Oh, it was like, it was like a bit. It was a, it was like, 1000 AD. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. It was a long time before. So, yeah. Uh, you know, I guess. Celebrate Lee Erickson. appreciative of Leif Erickson. <laughs> Today's also Moldy Cheese Day. Oh, yes. Oh. That's, <laughs> what? That's I disgusting. love yes. Moldy Cheese. Why? <laughs> I feel like those words don't even go together. I love they Moldy don't. Cheese. No. There, there's, there's no reason. There's no reason to celebrate that. That's not a holiday. They're, they're, no. Just, it, I mean, it is a holiday, though. No, it's like, not a No holiday. matter how much you protest that you can't. Well, was it blue cheese? There's technically mold. There is blue cheese. If you, yeah. if, there's, if you love blue cheese, it's your day. Blue cheese yeah. is awful. I've never I'm had sorry. it. Sorry. It, it actually is good. Have you ever tried it with chicken wings? No, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. See, it is good there. See, I, I like yeah. I like ranch on my chicken wings. Why don't you guys make your own segment about dressings on chicken wings? <laughs> Anyways, okay. So tomorrow, uh, Wednesday, is Emergency Nurses Day. So, That's good. you know, don't, appreciate those. Don't insult the nurses so again. So, like a time. regular nurse. Oh, my God. <laughs> but you're not an emergency nurse. Do you so still celebrate the, it? Oh, because this is like, um, emergent, like, um, was it emergency room? Yeah. Yeah. Nurses that work in emergency like, services. EMT well, kind of sucks if you're just a regular nurse, I guess. Well, that, your day was last week. Ah, oh, yes. Yes, yeah. I do remember that. If you remember yeah. that. So. <laughs> <laughs> physician, every every nurse has its day. day yes. um, also, uh, tomorrow is National Angel Food Cake Day. Mm, eh. yeah. It's all right. What? <laughs> Are okay. you serious right now? Yeah, I mean, I'll. Yeah. Angel food cake is the bee's knees. Are you talking about like the vanilla or the chocolate? It doesn't matter. The vanilla tastes kind of weird. I don't. I don't really. But angel food cake, angel food cake <laughs> is, is uh traditionally vanilla. Yeah, that I'm not crazy about vanilla angel food cake. I don't even really like cake, but. <laughs> angel <laughs> food really cake is like my <laughs> least favorite <laughs> kind what? of cake. What about fruit cake? Fruitcake's good. Carrot cake? No way, Yeah, oh, carrot cake is great. Andrew, all you're, right. like, liking all the things that everyone notoriously does not like. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> all right. So, uh, the 11th Thursday is It's My Party Day. What does that mean? Like, it's my party, and is I like cry re- if I want to. <laughs> is that in reference to the song? Well, I can figure out if you just give me three seconds. Is that? Um, it is. Yes, it is. Okay. So. Why does that need a holiday? <laughs> Um, it says, "Do you really need a reason to party?" That's what it exactly. Says. That's what it says on the on the screen. So, so um, yeah. I mean, party. I mean, if it's your birthday, that's it's good for you. You can party on. Okay, move on. <laughs> I feel like you're going somewhere with that. I, I was. I lost my train. Of, I lost my train of thought. Let's just keep moving. All right. So it's also take your teddy bear to work day. Uh, that's normal. Uh, that's everyone's going to know what you're doing. 
Exactly. I mean, it's a holiday. I actually don't have a teddy bear. I have a stuffed orangutan. Oh. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> well, so Jasmine, I would I would take my stuffed orangutan. Jasmine, you look like you want to say something. I, I have nothing to say, Jake. Are you I sure? It's not say. a real no, orangutan. Like it's. A, oh, okay. Well, I'm, I'm judging th- him at this moment. I'm I thought you judging him. What? <laughs> you don't like orangutans? They're endangered. I have. An, I'm not discriminating against orangutans. I'm just saying. You are totally discriminating. Does it, does it have a name? Uh, I've actually uh, was not that creative as a little kid, so I just okay. called it O-Rang. Wow, that's, that's disappointing. That's disappointing. <laughs> oh, Didn't even man. give it a name. That's crazy. I get. I gave it a name, Jasmine. Now, that's not a real one. That's. Do you just keep it? Hurt. Do you just keep it in your room, or do you like actually it's sleep in, with it at night? It's in my room, like, but normally, most of the time, it just like falls off my bed in my sleep. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> no judgments. <laughs> on Friday, we have a cookbook launch day. Mm. Cook- what? I guess so. If you're writing a cookbook, you should launch it on October 12th. That but if you're not ready, yeah. Well, then you have missed the cutoff. You have to oh, wait. You wow, have to wait a whole another year. A whole another year. That's whole another year. Insane. Cookbook that's launch day. So, um, it's also Old Farmers Day. Uh, okay, that's okay. great. I what mean, about young farmers? Uh, nobody cares yeah. about young farmers. Oh wow, wow, Jake. I'm pretty sure there's some out there listening right now. <laughs> they get tons of farm subsidies. They don't need the help. I think I think it actually might be in reference to like legit like really old farmers like farmers back in the mid 1800s. Wow, that's because they they helped you know that. start the country. That's some real Americana stuff right there. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it's also Moments of Frustration Day. <laughs> what what day is this? Friday? Yes. Uh, no, try Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or any day of the week. Jake, I don't know why you think Friday. you can like dictate when holidays last. I, <laughs> I have two <laughs> tests Friday, so I can guarantee. Yeah. It's an accurate, right accurate holiday. Yeah, and Friday is a very common day, especially for lower grades, like, you know, grade school, for people to have tests on Friday. So. Mm. Okay, I'll give you that. Moment of frustration day. <laughs> it's also World Egg Day. World Egg Day. Okay, yes. that's great, I guess. I love eggs. Eggs are great, yeah. Yeah? Yeah? I think, I think that's a legit what holiday. Mean, yeah. Favorite egg. Favorite kind of egg. Favorite egg. Hey, <laughs> chicken eggs. <laughs> no, I mean white, scrambled, poached. I personally, fried. I love, I, like fried. I love a good omelet or sunny omelet? side up. Okay, fried, fried, fried's the way to go. Fertilized. Oh my, oh my god! No okay. way. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, <laughs> the thirteenth, which is Saturday, is International Skeptics Day. Mm. Why? Mm. That's a good uh, question. I, I, I get it. I get what you're doing. It's it's, it's a joke. It can it? it can work in tandem actually with curious uh, with curious events day, which is today. Mm. So I think it's just like a curious, inquisitive week. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, so the uh, the the 14th, which is Sunday, is another be bald and free day. Another mm. two. Yeah. No, that's just overdoing that's, that's it. Control, really. <laughs> you don't need two days of freedom if you're bald. <laughs> I don't know why. That's There's just excessive. One. That's just excessive. Nobody needs that. <laughs> so we're just not going to give no. that one any, any airtime. No. Uh, next is National Dessert Day, which is also the 14th. Now, that's a real holiday. That's, that's, a, that's, that's a real, real holiday. holiday. That's something that we could really celebrate. Well, you can't have a National Dessert Day and have specific Angel Food Cake Day. That is true, though. <laughs> yeah. I don't see why you're so against, like, being festive. <laughs> I am festive. Yeah. I'm plenty no. festive. Uh, <laughs> all right. So it's also, or actually, the next day is White Cane Safety Day. 
Moving okay. on. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> I would take the time to explain it, but no, okay. nobody cares. So, <laughs> well, I guess we're ending with that note because that's <laughs> White Cane Safety Day. All right. <laughs> Thanks, DeAndre. Now let's turn to Grant to see what events are happening around campus. So you can see. State. Tomorrow, October 10th, marks the beginning of the second eight-week session for the semester, so congrats Wolfpack for making it thus far. Drop by the Brickyard between 11.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on Wednesday for a mobile device security checkpoint. OIT security and compliance staff will run a very quick diagnostic tool on your iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry phone, or on your Windows or Mac laptop or iPad. You can also sign up for a group session to learn how to further secure your device or pick up instructions on how to secure it yourself. Also on Wednesday, stop by Poe Hall, room 216 at 6 p.m. to hear European history scholar Stephen Kaplan of Cornell University, the world's leading authority on the history of French bread, give a public talk, Curse to Bread, a tale of mystery and tragedy in France, 1945 to 1958. Refreshments afterward provided by French business school members of Schema. On Thursday, October 11th at 3 p.m., come to the DHL Auditorium to hear amazing alumni Brian Frazier talk about persevering through traumatic injury while in school here at NC State and eventually becoming a successful Paralympic sprinter and a successful prosthetist with iWalk, a company that helps veterans and other amputees regain mobility with bionic products. Also on Thursday, come see the movie Bernie starting at 7 p.m. in Witherspoon Student Theater. Admission is $2 for students. If wood turning is more your style, head on over to the Craft Center on Thursday at 7 for an open demonstration by world-renowned turner Al Sturt. The movie Tropic Thunder will be joining Bernie in Witherspoon starting Thursday night at midnight. Admission is free to the public. On Saturday, NC State's bookstore in Harrelson Hall will be having an open house sale starting at 9 a.m., so be sure to stop by. Monday, October 15th, is the last day to withdraw or drop a course without a grade at all levels. So be sure to log on to MyPack Portal and make sure you're making those grades. For more information on these events and more, go to ncsu.edu forward slash calendar. Brian the Triangle, I'm Grant Buckner, 88.1 WKNC. I just noticed Grant said that the last day to drop is coming up, so... The 15th. Yeah, make sure you keep that in mind. Very important date. And that just about wraps up all we've got for you guys this week. From all of us here at Eye on the Triangle, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org. Until next week, good night.